Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? And did Pastor Paul learn that in seminary? I'd like to know. That's right. So join me as we pray together. Dear Father, we heard Pastor Mike speak about your love in his greeting. We heard the worship team sing about your love. We witnessed your love in an infant dedication. So we're reminded, Father, your love is quite a bit different than that of the world's. Your love is unconditional. Your love is faithful. It's not fickle. It's not here today, gone tomorrow. It doesn't depend on feelings. It's not sentimental. It's a love that's grounded in action, where you sent your son to die on a cross to bleed on our behalf, seeking us out while we were yet sinners, while we weren't even thinking about you, Lord. So we appeal to you today, Father, to meet us at our point of need, continue to draw us to yourself, help us to embrace and be embraced by your love so that we can love others in a similar fashion. We pray for those that don't yet know you in our midst. We pray for those that do know you that are grappling with life's issues. We're thankful, Father, that Jesus understands everything and anything we go through. So, Lord, may you be lifted up today. We also pray especially for a partner ministry, the factory ministries in Peckway Valley. We're thankful that they reach into homes that struggle with poverty, food scarcity, minimum wage. We pray that meeting of physical need would build trust so that the deepest need, the need for salvation and belonging, could be met. So, Father, may you be glorified today. May you speak through your servant as Pastor Mike brings the word, as he is subservient to your word. We humbly ask that your Holy Spirit might make us a little bit more like Jesus because of our time together. And we pray in his name. Amen. So join me as we read the scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your husbands... As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. But husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh." This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. 
However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thank you very much, Pastor Steve. Well, that was, I'm tired after that dedication, I'll tell you what, that was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And Pastor Paul handled it so beautifully. I did catch something that he said before the dedication that he had had several hot dogs. So I think that the number of people that were here on Friday night was two, three, or four less than what I had earlier reported based on hot dog headcount. It's $1.50 each, Paul, for the extra ones because it was one per person. But anyway, just need to get that out. As many of you may remember, on the last weekend of August, we celebrate Community Week, and our founding pastor, Pastor Will Martin, preached a stirring message on God's goodness and his faithfulness and shared with us God's goodness and his faithfulness, not only in the life of our church, but in his own life as he has recovered and just continues to marvelously recover from the stroke that he had in June, walking in here today and as you did last week as well. Praise the Lord for that, Will. We are excited by what God is continuing to do in your life and you and Barbie as you prepare actually to move to the Brother and Village to an apartment that you had long waited for even before all these events of the summer. In that sermon, though, there was something that Pastor Will said that really struck me and struck a number of our pastors as well. He talked about the fact that if you were to walk up to him and say, Will, I just love you, love you as my, as my pastor, but I don't really think very much of your wife, Barbie, that he would not be very happy about that because he loves his bride, he loves his wife. And, and you know, as he said that, he said, and, and that's the same for Jesus, too, you can't say to Jesus, I love you, Jesus, but I don't really think very much of your bride, the church, because he would not be happy about that. As I thought about that, I thought about our culture and how our culture views the church as a lost cause, out of step, out of date, out of touch. Fallen preachers and church scandals haven't helped that at all. And then when you compare the the large number of people in the United States who consider themselves Christians and the declining attendances in church, you have to conclude that there's a pretty large number of people who fall into the category of, you know, I love Jesus, but not so much his church. And that's not good. If for no other reason that that does not represent the heart of God, the heart of Jesus Christ, and the love that he has for the church. Over the next five weekends, we will hear Jesus speak to his church, and we need to hear what Jesus has to say to us as the church. If for no other reason, then all of us together come from many different church traditions, and we have a tendency to carry those traditions into church without first hearing what Jesus has to say about his church. It really isn't about what we think church should be, it's about what he wants church to be, which is why we've titled this series, Dear Church, by the way, that's a picture of the 915 service. Some of you can find yourself very easily on there because you sit in the very same seat every single 915 service until you go home to be with Jesus or he comes back. You're right up there, all of you are up there, 915. It's amazing what Jesus has to say to his church. We're going to unpack passages of Scripture that teach us truth about the church of Jesus Christ, who we are and what he wants us to be. And today we begin here. Dear church, you are my bride. Dear church, you are my bride. Now before we unpack this church, let me just kind of give you a quick 
tutorial about church, okay? There is a capital C church and a lowercase c church. The capital C church refers to the church universal, the church around the world, the church of men and women in nations all over the face of this earth, whether it be in South America or Central America, whether it be in Pakistan or India or in Africa, whether it be throughout Europe or in the far reaches of Siberia, in North Korea, the secret churches in Saudi Arabia, wherever they are around the world, the church universal. Then there is the lowercase c church, and the lowercase c church refers to the local church. It refers, for example, to Grace Community Church. Grace Community Church is part of the capital C church. We are part of the universal church, that church around the world that believes that the Bible is the inspired and errant and infallible word of God, and that Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world. And so every small C church is part of the capital C church. How do you become a member of the church? Well, it doesn't happen when you become a member by answering questions in front of people. That's not it. It's not by baptism. It's not by giving money. It's not by all the works that you do. I love how Luke says it in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. How do you become part of the church? It is when you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then when you are saved, you become part of the church. Instantly and immediately. It's a work of God, not a work of us. It is a work that he accomplishes through the power of his Holy Spirit. It's important for us to understand that because here, here's the deal. Every one of us here are part of the church if we are saved. And so whatever Jesus says to the church, he's saying to the capital C church, the world over, he's saying to the small or lowercase letter church, the church here and every one of the local churches around the world, and to you and me as members of the church. And so here we go. Dear church, you are my bride. That is such a strange way of describing church, bride and bridegroom. And yet it is a powerful image from the Bible. John the Baptist first introduced us to it in John chapter 3. Jesus uses the image in Mark chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 25. It's not new to the New Testament, however. It's rooted in the Old Testament image of Israel being the bride or wife of God who is the husband or bridegroom. And in fact, you can read those images all through the Old Testament, but very prominently displayed in the book of Hosea, the minor prophet Hosea. Now, the place in the Bible where you find this image of the church being the bride to Jesus, the bridegroom, the place where it is most prominent is in Ephesians chapter 5. And when we normally read this passage and when pastors normally step up to preach it, it's about husbands and wives. And yet, if you listen closely and listen to verse 32, did you hear Paul say, listen, what I'm really talking about is Christ and the church. And so it bears importance for us to look at this passage through the lens of what, what do you want to teach us, Jesus? What do you have to say to us, Jesus, about your church? And this is what he says. Dear church, you are my bride 
and I love you. I love you. Look at verse 25. The word of God says, Christ loved the church. Now, friends, that could not be any clearer. I could not make it any simpler. Christ loved the church. That means he loves us. He loves Grace Community Church. He loves Grace Church at Willow Valley. He loves Willow Street Mennonite Church. I could keep going. He loves the church. The local church, lowercase c, the capital C Church Universal, he loves the church. The church grounded in the word of God, the church declaring Jesus as the one true and living Savior, there is no other. So what the Apostle Paul does is he calls husbands to love their wives sacrificially in the same way that Christ loved his bride, his wife, the church. The word for love that is used in verse 25 is the word agape. It is pure, willful, sacrificial love. It is unconditional love. It is unreserved love. It means that Jesus loves the church as an act of his will. He desires to love the church. Christ loves the church with agape love. That's the first truth about us. And that's so important because we have to think about the fact if Christ loves the church, do we? Secondly, the word of God teaches that Christ not only loves the church, but I gave my life for you. Dear church, you are my bride, and I gave my life for you. Look at verse 24, 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, when did that take place? It took place at the cross at Calvary. That Christ gave himself up means that Christ gave himself in death for you and for me on the cross where he died for our sins so that we might then have the forgiveness of sin and a new and eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now the big word for this morning is substitutionary atonement. It's the theological truth that Jesus Christ took your place and my place, died as our substitute on the cross for our sins so that he would satisfy the punishment for sin. You know what the punishment for sin is? The punishment for sin is death. And here's the truth. God in heaven desires a relationship with every one of us. Oh my goodness, he wants to spend not only time with us now, but he wants to spend time with us for eternity. And yet there is one thing that was standing in the way of that personal relationship, and that is our sin. Because our God in heaven is absolutely holy, and he cannot have a relationship with anything that is sinful, anyone who is sinful. And so the word of God says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He sent his one and only perfect son, Jesus Christ, born as a baby in Bethlehem, grew into manhood, went to a cross, not, not that his life was taken from him, he gave his life, and he died in your place and my place on that cross. As he hung on that cross, I love how the Southern Gospel song says it, that as he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Some people say that's too simple. I don't think that's simple at all. I think that's absolutely true. As he was on the cross, the church of the ages 
was on his mind. He could see the church for whom he was dying. My goodness, he died in your place, Eric Rohr. He died in your place, Bob and Naomi. Welcome back from India. He died in your place, Kyle and Wendy. He died in your place, John and Tish. He died in your place, Ryan and Sarah. He died in your place. He died for your sins, Irma. He died so that your sins could be taken away. So Mary, because he died for you, and Darlene, you can go to him and confess your sin and repent of your sin, and he will forgive your sins, Travis. He will wash them away. Absolutely wash them away, Ryan and Alyssa. And he will make you a new person in Jesus Christ. I gave myself for you, church, because I love you, church. You want to know how much I love you? I sacrificed everything I am and everything I have for you. That's the love that Christ has for his church. Oh, dear church, you are my bride. I love you. I gave myself for you. And thirdly, I set you apart to be holy. Look at verses 25 and 26. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. This is God's expectation, Christ's vision for the church, that we would be holy. Now, I understand that when I use the word holy in this culture and even in this church culture, people kind of, oh my goodness, I don't want to be holier than now. Right away your mind goes, I don't want to be holier than now. That's not what holy means. Some people say, I want to be a holy roller. I'm not a holy roller. Listen, we put a slope in here so it makes it easier to roll. <laughs> and especially if you're worshiping in the back, you don't, you know, all you need to do is get going and, and then that's it. Nobody needs to push you. That's not what holy means. Holy here means called out and set apart. Now listen closely to what I'm going to say to you. God demonstrated his love for us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't expect us to get all cleaned up to come to him. When we come to him as dirty sinners, he washes us and he cleanses us. And what you need to understand is that once we come to know him as Savior and Lord, he expects us to live as called out, set apart people in the world in which we live to shine like stars in the darkness of the sinful world in which we live. We are, have you ever thought about this? We are the representation of Christ on this earth. Jesus is no longer walking in the flesh on this earth. We, the church, represent Christ to the world around us. Therefore, we should not look like the world as the church. We should not talk like the world or believe like the world or live like the world. We should be different than the world. What we believe, the values we hold to, should be different than the values of the world around us. And the lifestyle of the church should be different than the lifestyle of the world around us. The cleansing agent to make and keep the church holy, this is what Paul says, is God's word. How does the church remain the church that Jesus loves as his bride? We hold on to the word of God. We build the church on the rock of the word of God. Listen, my friends, listen. 
The authority in the church is the inspired, infallible, that means fully trustworthy, inerrant, that means without error, word of God that we call the Bible. It is not what people want to hear. You cannot build a church on the authority of what the dominant opinion is of the people and what they want the preacher to say on Sunday morning so that itching ears will no longer itch. That is not the authority. The authority is not our culture and what our culture believes and what our culture says we should preach. That is not the authority. We do not look to the newspapers. We do not look to any particular organization in the culture. We do not look to any particular political party or any special interest group to find our message. It has nothing to do with a denomination and what a denomination requests or requires or what they vote on in a conference. It has everything to do with the authoritative word of God, which is not subject to the vote of a church or a denomination or any group in this culture. And so the way a church remains holy is to hold faithfully to the word of God. It must be its value. Alone we must teach and preach the word of God, even when the word of God runs counter to what our culture teaches. Because if we do not do that, we become very dim, and we are no longer bright stars against the darkness of our culture. We're just kind of a dim, it looks like 10 lights are out and only one still lit. When the church surrenders, the authority of the word of God. Dear church, you are my bride. I love you. I gave myself up for you. If there's any question, I love you. I gave myself for you. I set you apart to be holy by the cleansing with water of the word of God. There's one more thing he says. Look, if you would, at verses 25 through 27. Dear church, you are my bride, and I will present you as a radiant church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her, now get this, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Remember, the church is the representation of Christ on the face of this earth. That's who we are. That's who he wants us to be. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, listen to what the word of God says. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, church, in the same way, Grace Community Church, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You must let your light shine. You must show the world who Jesus is by the good deeds that you do. And then someday, there will come a day, there will come a day when your holiness called out, set apart. Listen, we are not perfect while we are here. As a church, we are not perfect while we are here. We are forgiven. Grace Community Church ceases to be perfect the moment the first person walks in the door. As soon as Mike Sigmund walks in the door, this place is imperfect. 
And then when you follow me, Bob, it's doubly imperfect. Okay? Right? That's true. Ike, it's triply imperfect. When we all get here together, my goodness, it's like 500 times imperfect this morning or more. Kyle, that's true. Whether you're a preacher or not, and you are. Still imperfect, right? We are not perfect, but we are forgiven. Set apart, called out, but now hear me when I say this. There will come a day, however, when we will be perfect as a church. And on that day, Christ will present us to himself a bride without stain, wrinkle, or blemish, holy and blameless, It will come at the end of the events of his second coming when there will be this glorious wedding reception called the marriage feast of the Lamb. And we will be a perfect church presented to him, perfect because of the blood of Jesus, presented to him by him. This is how the Apostle John describes that in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds. It represents the good deeds. Remember Matthew 5, the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is the best wedding venue that will ever exist. And there will be a wedding feast there that will rival, oh my goodness, it won't even rival. It will be light years ahead of the finest reception that you ever went to in your life. You know you've been to some of those receptions where it looks like they paid, I don't know, three, four hundred dollars a plate. Let me tell you something about that wedding reception. They had one daughter, that was it. Because when you have more daughters, It's Chick-fil-A all the way. I mean, come on. That's the way it has to be. That's the way it has to be. Four nuggets. Paul doesn't get six. Hope he heard that. This is the marriage feast of the Lamb. And oh my goodness, the church will be then a radiant church. Beautiful in every way. And until that day, I love love what God inspired Paul to write in verse 29. Until that day, Christ will feed and care for his church. If we're faithful to him, you know what? He'll be faithful to us. And if we're not faithful to him, you know what? He'll still be faithful to us. He will care for his church. So, What should we do with this truth about Jesus and his bride, the church? First of all, love her. Love her. Oh my goodness, friends. Love the church. Will Martin said that if you said to him, oh, I love you, Pastor Will, I don't think much of your wife, Barbie, he'd say, 
I wouldn't be happy with you because if you love me, you need to love my bride. We love you, Barbie. And Jesus says, if you love me, you need to love my bride. Now, for some of us, that means a change of mind because, frankly, as I've been hearing this, I don't think I ever heard a sermon on the church as a bride, so, uh, okay, I, I can do that. I can love I can love the church, and it's simply for some people, just, oh, okay, that's what Jesus wants us to do, I'll do that. I've been in five churches in my life, starting with church I was born in Conestoga until this church today. And I can tell you that I, I love the church. I had a, I, I, Bethel Church in Conestoga, it developed in me a love for the church. They, taught, they introduced me to Jesus, I fell in love with Jesus, and then I just loved the church, just loved it. And from there, I, I became a youth pastor in two different churches. Imagine that. Just that's, that's like comical to imagine that me, a youth pastor. But I was, and that was a long time ago. And, you know, I loved those churches. I loved the church that Jenny and I had the opportunity to establish, and I loved this church. It wasn't hard for me to love the church. And for a lot of you, it won't be hard to love the church. But some of you need to have a change of attitude and a change of heart about the church. And you may fall into that category of, I love Jesus, but not so much as church. And frankly, friends, can I just be absolutely blunt with you? You need to repent of that. Because Jesus is not happy about that. You need to repent of that. You need to confess that. And you need to love the church. And sometimes it means a change of behavior. And I guess we all have to ask ourselves the question, when people look at us and our relationship to the church, does it appear that we actually have a loving bride or just a casual acquaintance? Someone that we actually know very, very well and love deeply or just someone that we see occasionally? And if you're going to love the church, you may change your behavior. Now, secondly, loving her isn't enough. You need to submit to him him being Jesus Christ. And that's just not you individually, but we as a church need to submit to him. Listen, we're part of a denomination called the Evangelical Congregational Church. Our denomination does not believe that it is right or appropriate to call its local churches to submit to them. We are called to submit to Jesus first. And our denomination requires us to do that doesn't matter what's written in our discipline or our bylaws. What matters is what's written in the Word of God. We need to submit to Jesus first. Now that raises a question. But what if the church has hurt me? Let's talk about church hurt for a moment. I've been actually thinking about this and talking about it with our pastoral team for quite a while. Church hurt is a relatively new phrase. I was surprised by this, but it's an old reality. It doesn't appear in any dictionaries other than the Urban Dictionary, and I don't exactly put a lot of stock in that, so I didn't agree with it either. It doesn't appear in Merriam-Webster, Oxford, or any of the standard dictionaries because it is so new. So here's the question I want to ask you. Did the church hurt you or did someone in or at the church hurt you? And just bear with Mike Sigmund as I try to unpack this. And, and I'm fallible, and 
this can be discussed, my goodness. I've been to five churches in my life, and in every one of the five churches, I have been hurt by someone, by what they said or what they did. I have had hurt, insult, offense in all five of them. Church number three, there was a woman who uh, I would preach like every six weeks or so, and I noticed the first time I preached, she was just feverishly taking notes. And, you know, as a young preacher, I'm thinking, wow, okay, that's really cool. Then at the door, she handed me two pages of all my grammatical errors from the sermon that I had just preached. And every sermon I preached while I was in that church, she would hand me, well, it got down to one page, hallelujah, of my grammatical errors. You know, not the best way to encourage a 22-year-old pastor, but, uh, you know, I did straighten some things out English-wise. It ain't as bad as it used to be. <laughs> Here's basically what God says about that. If someone hurts you, you need to work through the process of forgiveness. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. Church is not perfect. It is imperfect. People will say things that are hurtful and insulting at times. And frankly, can I just be honest, they'll say dumb things. I mean, just people say dumb things. Like, they don't think. Or they do think, and that makes it worse when they say dumb things. Like, really? You thought about that first? Oh, my goodness. And the way you handle that is you forgive them. Because listen, if you don't forgive those insults, offenses, or hurts, you know what happens? You become a miserable old man or a miserable old woman. And you don't want to make people liars at your funeral, do you? When they have the open mic and they all stand up and say nice things about you, when in reality you were just a miserable old person, you know? You don't want to make them liars. I mean, honestly, now think about it. Have you ever been to a funeral where someone says, well, let me tell you how miserable she was. She was just a grumpy, grouchy person, and I'm just, I hate it when she called. I mean, no one ever says that. Even if it's true, they don't say that. They lie. Don't make people a liar. Don't store up all the unforgiveness. Forgive. Now, Church hurt is, however, a pain that sometimes is inflicted by religious institutions. And the emphasis here is on institution. Church hurt happens when the church as an organization formally does something to hurt you. So I've been around long enough and worked with young pastors long enough to know that there are young pastors and their wives who've been kicked to the curb after three years in their church, because at the age of 28, they didn't have 40 years of experience. And some of those young pastors haven't gone back to the pastorate. That's church hurt, where the institution hurt them. Some of you are here today, and it grieves my heart. You are here because the church of which you've been a part for 35, 46, 52 years abandoned the authority of God's word 
and a deep and abiding belief in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And you invested a lifetime in that church. And because it's walked away from Jesus and his word, you've had to leave it. And you're hurt. And that hurts me. We're grateful for the growth that God has given Grace Community Church, and we're grateful that you found a home here and that we can help you with the healing process. But it's heartbreaking to see churches walk away from the authority of the Word of God in the belief that somehow the culture will say, oh my goodness, they're lining up with us, let's line up to go there. Friends, that's not the nature of the church. We are other than this world. We are led by one who is not in this world. His name is Jesus. We are designed to be counter to the culture and to establish ourselves on a foundation that is unlike any other foundation in this world. It is the word of God. And if you're here today and you've been hurt by the church in that way, don't, don't allow that hurt, that insult, that offense to grow into a root of bitterness inside of you so that you become angry and miserable because the same applies to you. You don't want to be a miserable old man, a miserable old woman who the rest of your life talks about what they did my goodness, don't walk away from church. Find the church of God's choosing and fall in love all over again. Because she is a beautiful bride. Christ loves her. He gave himself up for her. He set her apart by the power of his Holy Spirit, and he is excited to someday have this phenomenal marriage feast of the Lamb and welcome his church to live with him forever. Christ loved the church. Do you? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the authority of scripture. Thank you for its infallibility, its complete trustworthiness, its complete without any error. Thank you that in your word you describe the church as your bride and you tell us with no uncertain terms you love the church. And if you love the church, you want us to love her too. So right now I want to pray, Father, for those who may be suffering from church hurt, who are struggling to love the church because of what the church has done for them. Lord, I don't know who they are, I don't know what the circumstances are, but I do know that you desire healing for them. In a very special and powerful way, you want them to bring their hurt to you so that you can wash away their hurt by your blood, Jesus Christ, shed on the cross for our sins. You want to restore their, their love and their, their confidence in church so the church can be safe again. It can be a place where they can dive in and get involved and love it the way you designed it to be loved. There, there may be others here for whom someone in the church, at the church, said something, did something that was genuinely hurtful, 
there's a wound. Lord, you want us to forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven us. You don't want us to run and you don't want us to store away. You don't want us to push down into our souls that hurt. You want us to forgive. You want us to experience the freedom that, freedom, the freedom, Lord, that comes from forgiveness. I thank you for that. I thank you. I pray that you would do that work here so that whatever barriers there may be for some to love the church, you would remove them and they would love your church just as they love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.